following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. When we talk about the will of God, some wonder, does God even have one? And if God does have a will, is it, is it really knowable? I mean, can you really actually get in on it? And the answer to both of those is yes and yes. God has a will with distinction, and yes, we can get in on it. And today I wanted to give you an overview. It's from where we left off last time we got together. We were in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, and there was a verse that came up. It was verse 17, and it said, Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Understand what His will is. So not only does He have one, but understand what it is. And there's so many people who don't really know or don't know they can know God's will or don't care to discover it. And the Bible's saying, don't be foolish, understand what his will is. So today what I'd like to do is take that as a a launching pad, as a little moment to, to, to jump off into God's will for a minute and provide, if I can, some sort of crash course, if you will. If you can put those two words together, God's will and a crash course, Uh, a crash course in the will of God. Um, based on scripture and based on my journey along the way and what God has shown me about his will and how it's been revealed over time. Um, All of us in this room have a story and we all have different beginnings. Our stories started out very differently, born in different places, different circumstances, different environments. Along the way, we went through ups and downs, setbacks, various experiences along the way. Hopefully, many have finally had an encounter with the real Jesus, the resurrected Jesus of the Bible, who does a radical paradigm shift and a change on the inside. And then there's this plan, God's will, that's finally in effect being worked out in our lives. And God is unfolding a story. And if you skip to the back of the book, it ends amazingly well. But the rest of the journey along the way, it can be absolutely epic. Do you realize that your story can be an epic story? Your story can be epic. And I think having an epic story or not will completely depend on how you and I lock in with the will of God and begin to understand it like Paul was saying here, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The more you and I start to lock in with the heart of God, the heartbeat of God, the the will of God, the the, the, the sooner we start tracking with that and moving along with God on that, I believe that's how epic the story becomes. It gets more and more epic as we lock in with God. And so when we talk about God's will, I think the first thing we got to understand is that it's God's will. It's not our will. It's his will. He has one. It's knowable. And if it's God's will, then he's the one who determines it. He's the one that defines it. See, if it's our will, we can define that really well. But if it's God's will, then really God's got to be the one who defines it, right? God's will. He's got will. He's got definition. He's got clarity. And I think the best way to begin, I think, and I believe this was my story um, you know, along the way, my journey, how I started to discover God's will, it begins with understanding his nature. If we, if we have the wrong view of God's nature, we'll never get in on his will. And his nature, one of the first things about his nature that we realize in the Bible is that he, he's the one who, who was and is and is to come. Uh, in fact, 
There's many names for God in the Bible. He's Elohim, El Shaddai, Adonai, these great names, Jehovah. Uh, But the reality is, the first time God says, can I tell you personally what my name is? You know, he's being called God, the creator, Elohim. He's being called all these things documented in scripture. But hasn't it face-to-face encounter with Moses? And says, do you, you want to know my actual name? Yeah, I, I got to go back and tell the people, who are you? Not just God, generic, vague, descriptive. Who are you personally? And God, in his own self-description of his own name, said, you want to know who I am? I am. I am. Yahweh is the closest we can come to that. Y-W-H-W, there were no vowels in the old Hebrew. We assume it's pronounced Yahweh. The pronunciation has been long lost, but it's likely Yahweh. Yahweh, I am. God, Mo, Moses is like, who are you? He's like, I am. I am the one who was and is and is to come. I am. Right here, right now, right where you're at. That's why The best description for God, I believe, is he's the great I am. He's the living God. I stress that because some have a view that God is this creator out there somewhere in some other galaxy maybe, and I don't know if he's really checking in on our affairs very well. Have you ever honestly felt like that? Come on, honest show of hands. Like, God, are you like seeing this? Are you checking in? Um, We kind of feel like maybe God is a little missing out on something and we're praying for something. No, God is the living God. He is the great I am. And I think this part of his nature is where the journey begins. Because if you understand that he is the great I am, that he's always present. In fact, one of the names for God in in the Old Testament is Jehovah Shema, the Lord your God who is there. He is here. He is everywhere. He is the Lord your God where you were at. He's the Lord your God where you were at. And that is the great I am. This is really important because if you, if you really take to heart this present reality of God's presence among us, early on he made a promise with his people. I will be your God, you will be my people, I will make my dwelling among you. And then Jesus elaborated saying, if you, know, if you say yes to me, I'm never going to leave and forsake you, ever. I'll never leave you. So to the ends of the earth, he's with us. And if you have this grasp of God and his presence, I think it completely changes the way we view him and his will in our lives. Because if you remember that God is with you always, you approach his will differently. If you think God checks in once in a while and is out there in a distant realm somewhere, and he kind of crashes into our world momentarily and then retreats again, and some people have that view of God, then you're going to miss out on the present reality of God's presence. And and the Bible even tells us that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's Proverbs 9.10. The fear, not like fear he's chasing you down. Fear like, wow, I am just in awe, God, you blow me away. Your presence is... It is so real, you are so powerful, you are so present, and the Bible says this is where wisdom begins. There's no wisdom or knowledge outside of acknowledging God's presence is what this is telling us. 
And there are people in life making plans on their journey and their stories unfolding, but sometimes they're not clocking with God on this thing. They're not tracking with God. They're not appreciating his presence. And because they're not appreciating his presence, I believe they're not including his will into the things that they're doing in life. I know in my journey, as soon as I started to have a greater appreciation for the presence of God here and now and daily, that is when my journey began to change. And I trust many of you might have that same, same uh, story. Uh, if you're a note taker today on this crash course in God's will, for some of you, this might be review. But for some of you, you might be going, you know what? I've been missing out and I'm wondering where is God at right now? I'm wondering where he's at in this area of my life and in my, either my relationships or my family or in health or in finances or in some area I feel stuck and I don't know where God is and I don't know what he's doing and I come up to these crossroads and I don't know what decision to make. This is going to be a great crash course, I believe, to help us track with God. And so the first point this morning on his will is to, to gain a deeper understanding of God's presence of God's presence. The presence of God is such an enormous part of our lives that you can't clock with God's will. You can't even begin to track with him until you have an appreciation for his presence. He made it so clear to Israel that he provided a cloud by day and fire by night. Cloud by day and fire by night. God's like, here's a visual that you'll never be able to forget. I'm always with you. Now, you're not always gonna see the cloud or the fire but remember, I'm always with you. And Israel's like, look, guys, God's with us. God is with us. And then later on in the days of the temple, it's like God is dwelling in, 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 the, in the temple. And now God says, I dwell in the hearts of men. My spirit dwells in the hearts of men. That's individual. And yet, plurally, corporately, when we get together, the spirit of God also inhabits our praises. There's many dimensions of God's presence, but I want to encourage you, that appreciation for his presence is really where so much begins right there in, in understanding uh, more about God's will. I would say the more we understand his presence, the more we begin to trust him in our journey. The journey that he wants to be an epic one. If we, if we appreciate his presence, we trust him more. If we don't acknowledge his presence, we tend to control more and more things in our lives. We stay in control we got the wheel even tighter because it's our journey and we're going we're gonna to navigate this thing completely on our own. And God's like, I'm the great I am. I love you. I know you better than you know yourself. I knew you before you were born. I know what gifts I put into you. You're my workmanship. You were created to do these things. I got an amazing plan for you. It's not to harm you. It's to prosper you and give you a hope and a future. This is the heart of God. Will you acknowledge my presence and begin the journey? And I think this is so key because, again, some control and hold on. And God's like, I am so present. Would you trust me? There's so many things God would like to tell some of you this morning. I got that. I got that. Whatever your biggest burden and biggest strife in your life is this morning, I think God would like you to know, I got that. I see that. I see the struggle. I get it. I'm with you in this. And so that's where it really begins, to gain a, a deeper understanding and appreciation of his presence. And then... The next part, and I realize this in my journey, and the Bible gives us definition on this too, is, is how we begin to tune in to the will of God. How do we begin to actually hear and get clarity, direction? I mean, it's a pretty amazing topic. Creator of the universe, 
lover of your soul, giving you and I clarity and direction. The invisible God who is so alive and wants to be more proactive in our lives, communicating with his children that he loves and giving us direction. I, I think it's an amazing topic. There's some people who would take you know, years and years on this topic and writing books and books and books, but this is a simple crash course on what the word of God says and my journey agrees with what the word says here. And so the first uh, one on, on this, I think there's a few of them here for this next step, tuning into God's will. And the first one is the word, the word. We, we can't know the God of the word unless we know the word of God. Um, you know, there's people around the globe that believe they have some experiences with God, but if you look at the word of God, it's a different author. The, the author of God's word is not the same description you're hearing of, of other people or what God is supposedly telling them to do. So although some think they're having some sort of a revelation, it is, it is completely void of the word of God. To know the God of the word, we've got to look at the word of God, and that is the best place to get the general revelation of the living God in your life. I know some of you know this, many of you do know this, but I will say there are some of us that are at crossroads and need to make decisions, and you might be praying, and you might be checking with friends, which is good, but are you actually camped out in God's word? I mean, are you really in his word? And that's between you and God. Are you hanging out with God and camping out in God's word? Because if you spend time in the word of God, you will know the God of the word better, and I trust that his revelation will become more and more clear to you. You'll be reading passages, uh, and all of a sudden, the spirit of God will quicken something to you or have something seemingly jump off the page. It's like one of those shows they have on TV where they're doing a news show, and all of a sudden, the font or the print on a document, you ever see how they do that? They bolden it, and they highlight it, and it comes you know, like right out to the forefront. That's what the spirit of God does. Because the Spirit of God, all Scripture is Spirit-breathed. That means the Spirit of God breathed Scripture. And when you and I are reading it, the Spirit of God in you wants to show you something, wants to show me something, and says, Psst, are you seeing this? That's what he does. He's really good at this. Revelation begins that way. This is how we tune in to the Word of God. Psalm 119, 105. Your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. And yet so many well-intended believers going through life, wanting clarity from God, simply not camping out a bit in his word to get a lamp for their feet and walking through well-intended but stumbling along the way because God's word is a lamp to our feet. It does light our path. The other component of this tuning in is prayer. There's no, there's no replacement for prayer for hanging out in the presence of God and being still with him. How many of you know intimacy takes time? Intimacy takes time. Our culture is not good at intimacy. In fact, we're probably the least intimate culture on the face of the earth. We zip this, we got our devices, we download the new operating system on the iPhone, nah, 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 so we can do more stuff while we're driving, getting our latte through the drive through so we can get to multitask along the way. What happened? What happened to slowing down? See, the, the, the um, prayer, prayer is a, is a discipline really. And it's a discipline of being still and intimate in the presence of God and asking him. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. It's good to ask. You should ask. Share what's on your heart. You read the Psalms, David vents. He says everything. I'm like, David, can you get away with that? Apparently he can. <laughs> He just tells God what he's thinking and how he's feeling. God's not all mad at him for sharing his heart. And 
Then he obviously spends time to listen to God, letting it be a two-way dialogue, hearing from heaven, and he starts these songs, these psalms in the Bible, sharing these things and the reality of his struggles, and he obviously camps out with God for a while because on the other side, he lands with an answer, and God communes with him, communicates. So, so the word and prayer are so, so important, but here's a, here's a part that I think is often missing in our lives. And the other part of this tuning in is spirit-led friends. Spirit-led friends. Friends in your life that are led by the Holy Spirit. You know, in the early church, they were looking for people and leaders and people to raise up, and they were looking for people filled with the Spirit. This is a qualifier in the Bible. People who were sensitive in tune. Yes, they knew the Word of God, but they were sensitive also to the Spirit of God. And they were a little bit open to his promptings. They, they were a little better at listening, a little bit more locking in with God. You want to surround yourself with some people who are spirit-led friends. I need them. I trust you need them as well. The early church, they hung out in community, as we said. They hung out in community, and there were always some spirit-led believers around. Uh, once again, community life groups are that. They're an opportunity to hang around with other believers who are led by the Spirit. And this is where we help to get shaped and directed and challenged and encouraged and there's support and there's love and there's, there's a lot of stuff that is part of God's design for this. But this is really important, spirit-led friends. The Bible says, wise is the counsel of many. Wise is the counsel of many. And what that means is as we're reading God's word and we kind of get a, a view, I think, of what God sort of wants for us and we're praying and we kind of get a little bit maybe more clarity, but we're not exactly sure, but we're going to start taking some steps. When you have spirit-led friends in your life, they help you go, you know, I totally agree that's God and here's why. Because God is stirring them also. And, and the Bible talks about bearing witness, how we bear one another's burdens and we bear witness with each other. And there's a, there's a thing about if the Spirit of God wrote Scripture and the Spirit of God is truly leading you, then oftentimes those who love you around you who have the Spirit of God in them, can help bring agreement. Does that make sense? Or, or the other way around, where somebody is misled and they're reading into something and they really want their will, really bad, and they're trying to conjure something to come up with a conclusion. And you've probably heard people do this, I know God wants me out of my marriage because I'm not happy. And they want friends to go, dude, you're totally right. That's no, that's not, the heart. that's not the word, that's not the spirit, and godly friends around you to say, you know what, <laughs> check yourself before you wreck yourself, because that's not the heart of God. You know, friends that care enough about you to tell you the truth, this is so important, and I hope all of us in this room find a place, if we don't already, to begin as a commitment, almost a discipline, to hang out with other believers who love you, who love you enough to tell you the truth, I know I need that. If you love me, tell me the truth. If there's something off in my life, not hypercritical of each other, just like, I love you too much and I think you're gonna hit a wall. I love you too much, I gotta tell you. You know what I mean? This kind of friendship, the ones who say, you know, I, I was praying and I, I kind of have, I think this is for you, God kind of showed me something. Now you go test the Bible and you pray and you test the spirits, the Bible says, but there's something really healthy about spirit-led friends in, in our lives and how this uh, works in with the will of God being carried out in our life. It's a key component. And in my journey along the way, I realized each of these. First, the understanding of God's presence helped me get on track, committing to Jesus, saying, you're real, I'm following you. That was my first step. 
and then reading the Bible because I was supposed to, supposed to, and then it came alive to me. I'm like, whoa, this thing is alive. Now, if, not, if you're in this room this morning and you have not had the experience with the word coming alive, I promise you God wants to give you that experience, okay? It is living by its very self-definition. It's living and active. Say it again, it's living and active. It's active, it's alive. The word of God is alive. It's not a 2,000-year-old printed book. It is alive, spirit breathed. So when God wrote it, it was alive. And when you open it, it comes alive. And if it's not coming alive to you, ask the Spirit of God to make it alive to you. But there's the, the reality of God's presence. There's the, the reality of his word, time and prayer, and spirit-led friends. There were so many things that helped shape me along the way because spirit-led friends prayed for me or helped me with some direction or helped give me clarity in areas and I've since been able to do that with others as well, kind of help steer in times of direction and wondering what is God's will for my life. You know, we should be around a community of believers that love us, that can help us in these matters. This is the heart of God. This is what the early church was committed to. They were committed to the apostles' teaching, because the word's alive, to fellowship and to prayer and to break into the bread, even sharing meals together. And so fellowship was another key component. But spirit-led friends... It says in Proverbs 15, 22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Once again, having some godly friends in your life to say, you know what, I totally agree. I think that's what God's doing. It's a new thing and step out in faith and watch what he does. Or some friends to go, yeah, I'm not really sure about that. I think you ought to slow down on that. This is, this is a key component, I believe, uh, for us to do this. And so the Bible says the word lights our path, the Holy Spirit guides our steps, and godly friends help confirm things along the way, help bring extra clarity. Bible talks about giving a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. Uh, We are a church who believe the Holy Spirit is alive and well today. We don't believe the Holy Spirit died with the first century apostles, nor did his gifts. I know there's different views out there on that. But the Bible doesn't say the gifts will ever end. And some of those are words of wisdom and words of knowledge where literally God kind of whispers to somebody in the group a word. And when you hear that word, you'll know, yes, that was totally God. How could you know that? This is how gifts are used the proper way in good order and it blesses everybody. So I would encourage you uh, to be in, a, in, a, in an environment where you have some spirit-led friends. So th- this aspect of God's will starts to unfold in a greater dimension and your life gets more and more epic along the journey. Your story can be more epic than it already is. How many want a more epic story, all right? It can be epic, okay? You read the stories in the Bible, all these people read it, they're epic stories. Every one of these could be a major motion picture relief. They're epic stories. Your story can be epic. It's about how you and I start to track with God's will and get in on it along the way. Um, Another topic, just skimming the water here, skimming the surface of God's will, uh, I want to hit on on the topic of distractions because distractions um, are enormous and I believe we are the most distracted society in the history of civilization. I mean, we are the most, I mean, I think that goes without, uh, no one could contest that. There's never been a society who's been 
just had so many things, sound bites, videos, boom, 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 show, thrown at you. How many, and this is not to show, show you our ages, but how many remember when TV was really little and there was about seven channels? How many? Okay, half the room, okay. So for the ones who didn't raise your hand, respect your elders. Okay, that's biblical. Those who raise their hand, respect them. I remember we had this TV and I don't know what would happen with it. It was one of the early color TVs and a guy used to come out with a hula hoop thing, you know, like a round circle. Does anybody remember this? TV would get fuzzy. Some of you guys do. He'd come out with this thing. It's like electromagnetic. He'd like wave it. I'm like, what's this guy doing? He gets paid for this. He, he like does it in front of the TV a couple of times. It kind of gets it all back in phase again or something. And now everyone's got devices and you've got a world wide web. You can learn anything right now. Don't be doing it during church, but you can study up anything. You know, we've got everything at our access, billboards, boom, you go home on your TV, I don't know who you have or if you have TV, but even without a, without a cable or anything, you get 60 channels now off the top of the mountain over here, and you get, you know, 200 channels on your whatever, there's so much stuff coming at you, and it's going to be relentless, it's not going to stop. You're going to get hit up with more and more um, potential distractions in your life than ever before, and that's why the topic of distraction is important when we talk about the will of God. Distractions. All of us are subject to it. And if the devil can't uh, get you to turn from God, he will at least put distractions in your path. Because if he could just slow you down and and mess you up and kind of divert you a little bit, he's happy about that. Just distractions. It's all it takes is distractions. You know, I was thinking of the story of Abraham. And God said, Abraham, I am calling you from the land of your forefathers Ur of the Chaldeans, you're you're, you're called out. You're one of my called out ones. You're going to start a whole new thing. But I want you to go over here to the land of Canaan. And and Abraham starts his journey and he stops in the middle at a place called Ai. And he just pitches his tent and hangs out. It takes seven years and the death of a family member for him to finally go, oh, where was I? Oh, that's right. I was supposed to be over here. And in many ways, maybe wasted seven years of his life on a distraction. Maybe it looked good or maybe he thought this would be a, a place to rest and it turned into a place to camp out and then to build a house. And, the, you know, and God's like, I was calling you over here and you, you didn't do it. You got distracted. And seven years later, I'm calling you out of your distraction, Abraham. There's a bigger epic story for you. It doesn't happen here. It happens there. Would you keep coming? Don't stop coming. Keep coming. That's part of what distractions do to us all. Um, you know, as a new believer on my journey, I began to realize this as well. I was, I was growing as a believer and I was reading my word. I was starting to grow in Christ. I was starting to serve doing some skid row ministry and prison ministry. And I, I just knew God had more for me. I knew there is more of an epic story somewhere to be had. And I didn't know what it looked like or, or, and I didn't know what it would take to break through. Honestly, I couldn't see it. I couldn't describe it. So maybe many of you have some distractions that you don't, you don't recognize them as distractions because I didn't recognize them as distractions in my life. But it was a time where uh, from my past, I was a mechanic and I used to build a lot of hot rod things. And so for me, it was kind of natural. But um, I, I was one day I was on the job. I remember it clear as day. And God spoke to me in a, basically an internal audible voice, if you will. Um, the Bible says the Holy Spirit leads and counsels and guides. So if he counsels, he apparently speaks because he gives counsel. Um, and he spoke to me, and, uh, and what, I, what I heard that day is, 
simplify life and get rid of distractions. That's what the Spirit of God said to me. He didn't tell me what the distractions were, and he didn't tell me how to simplify. I remember it clear as day. I was doing a brake job on a big old four-by. I remember taking this huge tire off, this monster truck tire. And when I heard this, I almost like dropped it and let it roll. I had to go write this down. I mean, if God says something, you better write it down. Don't misquote it. Simplify life and get rid of distractions. So I was camping out on that for a while. What does that mean? What does it mean to simplify? And what are the distractions in my life? I didn't think I had many distractions. Well, at the time, I had this 94 mile an hour jet boat, a race boat big pro stock motor and little load of the grain. Man, you know those things, right? I had one of these and I enjoyed it. I didn't think it got in the way, but I started to think, you know what? Maybe it is a little bit of a distraction. I'm not saying stuff. Please don't misunderstand me. Stuff in your life may not be a distraction. God may give you a whole fleet of boats, okay? He may give you a shipping crew. He may give you a, a cruise line, okay? Uh, for me, for me, in the season I was in, I knew God had more, and for me, these were distractions. So I got rid of this race boat. I had this big old, like, kind of like a monster truck, for lack of better words. I had this big truck. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe that can take a little time and effort when God's got other things. Maybe, maybe it's time for that to go. I had this 66 vintage Corvette convertible, you know, that I had for many years, and there's nothing wrong with it. I don't worship the thing, you know. It's not a God in my life, but... All these things for me take time. So again, nothing wrong with nice cars and vintage stuff. You know, you can have a whole bunch of them. It's not what you have, but where it's at that matters. Amen? It's not what you have, but where it's at. But for me, I wanted more. I knew God had more, and I did not recognize any distractions. All of these were fine for me. And I just sensed God saying, simplify and get rid of distractions. He let me pick what simplifying was, and he let me pick what to get rid of. Now, I got to tell you, I get more joy now in the pool being the tugboat, pushing my son Micah around in a, in a tube, than I did in that boat going 94 miles an hour. That is the God's honest truth, okay? That is pursuing the will of God. Some might say, what are you, crazy? How can... You can't even compare, okay? They're not even on the same planet. And the vet going up and down PCH with the top down or something, not even close to being on our mountain bikes. We went for a ride through the neighborhood and I got Micah in the buggy trailer and Macy on the back of the bike and the wind through your hair. This is epic, guys. This is epic. You might say, why is that epic? Well, if it's happening in your life, you'll know just how epic it is. You'll know just how fulfillment of the heart of God it is. You'll know how much joy it brings you that the other stuff won't. And since God is the great I am, and he is the great I am, He knows you and I more than we know ourselves. He knows what will bring you joy. He knows what will bring you peace. And he knows what fulfillment is. Seek first the kingdom. He gives you the desires of your heart. Your story gets more and more epic along the way as we lock in with him. I'm not saying get rid of your stuff. It's not the message today is not get rid of your stuff. The only ones that I see in scripture that God's asking to take vows to poverty or missionaries and people going, there's a gift of poverty and it is literally, that's the way some are called to live. I'm not saying God's calling anyone to that level of life. It's not what you have, it's where it's at in your life. It can be anything. It can be things that take up your time. It can be things that take up your finances. It can be things that take up your life or your worries. I don't know what they are, but ask God 
what are the distractions in my life because they will hijack you along the way. And after I began to set these things aside, God opened more and new opportunities. The story of Jonah in the Bible, we don't have time to get into his story, but he is one who needed a crash course in the will of God. He had an idea of the way it works, the way life works. And God's like, no, Jonah, that's not actually, that's how you think it works, Jonah. But it's not how, it's not my will. See, Jonah thought prophets are all Jewish and prophets only go to Israel because that's what all the major prophets did. And Jonah's like, I'm gonna be a major prophet like them. And God's like, no, I got a different group of people. I love them and I care about them and they're not Israel, Jonah, and I need you to go. And Jonah's like, I don't do that. Prophets don't do Gentiles, okay? We don't do that. And God's like, no, you do. That's your calling. No, I don't. He goes the wrong way. And God's like, Jonah, I got such a will for you. I love, don't fight me on this, Jonah. And Jonah finally comes to his senses. And you know what he says? It's an amazing passage. When you look at Jonah 2.8, we have it for, the, for this uh, projector up here. Jonah, thinking he knows God's will, but he actually is fighting it. He's distracted. He's caught up. He finally comes to this conclusion before his whole life and future turn around. And that is a simple statement. Those who cling, cling, everyone say cling. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Cling doesn't mean having stuff. It means clinging. It means holding on to something. That like, oh, I'm not letting go of this. And God's like, you know, that might be the very thing that I want to hand you something, but I can't because your fists are closed and we're hanging on to stuff. And I know in my life that were the case. I was holding on to some stuff. God's like, whenever you're ready to let it go, it's permissible. It's just not beneficial for you. If if you let it go, I, I, I can replace it with some other things. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be there. So the third point this morning is to be careful what you cling to. That's between you and God. But are the things you're clinging to that are getting in the way of the fulfillment of God's will in your life? Your story being mediocre when it can be epic. Oftentimes, it's the things we, we cling to. Um, and by the way, that's how they catch monkeys. I don't know if you know that, but the way they catch monkeys is they put a heavy box with like a coconut or something the monkey wants. They drop it in a hole and the monkey will come and smell it and the monkey will stick their hand in there and the monkey will grab it. And the monkey's like, yes, a banana or a coconut. Yes, they think this is epic, right? And they can't get their hand out and they won't let go of it. Let go of it. And they just come up to trap them and throw a little net over them. Some of you guys are sad for the monkey right now, right? Don't be sad. But that's a foolish little monkey. <laughs> foolish little monkey who's caught in a monkey trap because he won't let go of stuff that he loves. He's clinging to a worthless idol. He's not getting the big picture, okay? Don't feel bad for that little foolish monkey. Um, The, the, the next part, though, as this unfolds, and this will be the, the last topic, is, as we begin to see, okay, acknowledging God's presence is a key factor in getting in on his will and understanding that through his word and through prayer and godly friends, we get to see it more and hopefully learning between you and God personally, whatever that is, to stop clinging to whatever we cling to. Uh, I want to talk about this because this is an area where I know in these times many people uh, are frustrated, uh, and that's an, under the topic of our economics, our economics, the way we see 
the, the way things work or the way things should work, our economics, our worldview on how things work and, and our transactions. And there's some frustrated people, both financially and relationally, and a lot of things going on right now. And, and, and why, why, why? Why me and why is this happening? And I want to just disclose a little bit more of a slice on the will of God and, and how God works in some of these areas. How we view things and how we think things work versus how God says it really does work. Because I think we have a view of the economy and I think God has a different view of economics. And I, I would say God's economics are powerful. God has some spiritual laws in place. And uh, one great scripture that gives a great overview is Luke chapter 6, 37 and 38 we have for up here. And it says this, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Now, God is trying to tell us something about our economics and the way we measure things and how we respond and how we do things in the area of judging. He says, don't judge. Condemning, don't condemn. Forgive, you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. And when we talk about economics like this, I want to ask you on the front end of this, are you living in your economy or God's economy? Are, are, are you living in your economy or God's economy? Because if you're living in your economy but you want God's will, that in itself is a straight-up contradiction. But if you're living in God's economy... You have to be living in his will because God says this is the way I do things and everything is on him. Everything else is on God. If God makes promises and God says the way it works and you're walking in God's economy, then it's on God. What I find, and I hear this frustration as I share and counsel with people, is people walking in their own economy and yet they don't understand why the math is all messed up or these problems in their life and other areas. And, and right now, I think even uh, some of it is not just relational things, but People are having some financial struggles and going, where is God in these times? And I would ask that question, are you in your economy or in God's economy? Because if you're in God's economy, he's got some things that he would say, I got it covered. And I just want to share a few of them because some of you might say, yes, I totally get this. This is a no-brainer for, for me. Others are like, yeah, I don't really like this topic. Um, I, don't, I don't want to hear about God's economy. I want it to be my economy and I want God to bless what I do in my economy. That's the way it ought to be. God's like, unfortunately, that's the way you think it should work. But God would say, you know, if he is the king of the kingdom of God and you entered into his kingdom, then let's acknowledge his economy. If you expect God to be the king in your kingdom, that's different. But if he is the king in his kingdom and we acknowledge the king, then it's his economy and there's a different view. And on my journey, I learned this aspect of that God has a different economy than I do. God has a different economy than, than we do. And I, and I realize it's so important that I actually entered, I entered God's economy, if you will. Uh, I entered God's economy some 25 years ago when I heard that God had a different economy. And it works a little bit different. And a couple of things I just want to share on this. And, you know, if you hear this and you're like, hey, I'm not at this, I'm still back with my economy, that, that's fine. This is not a this is not a push or a challenge other than it is ask God about whose economy you're in. But um, uh, Malachi talks about 
since we're supposed to be in God's economy, to give back the first 10%, the first fruit. Really, everyone say first fruit. The word, the term in the Bible is a first fruit. I wish people would use that word more often. Like not donate, not get, first fruit. That's what the Bible calls it, it's a first fruit. And what that means is, you can look at life like it's all my economy and everything is mine, so therefore, what do I feel like giving? Because there's something about God's economy here and, and what giving and how God will give back. But if it's my economy, uh, what do I give or donate or how do I live in life or generous or who I give to and what I do? How do I do that? Or you can look at it the way the Bible says in God's economy. And, and the Bible's economy would say, it's all God's. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything we have is borrowed. There's going to be an accounting someday. And that being the case, to give back the first fruit. Not to give, to give back. Does that make sense? See, if it's your economy, then you give. But if it's God's economy, you, you just simply give back what he already gives, 10%. This is something I've been doing for 25 years. Christy and I have been married 14 years this week. Give Christy a round of applause for putting up with me. Thank you, sweetheart. Um, but... Uh, 14 great years. Um, but all I have to say is we've been doing this as a matter of course because it's a first fruit. Again, it's a first fruit. Everyone has a different way of paying their bills, swiping their car, doing their online bank checks. But what we do since we've been married is the first thing that we do with them, before we pay anyone or before we pay anything, our first fruit is for the glory of God. And we're not giving it, we're giving it back. Does that make sense? We do that because it's a whole paradigm shift. Whether you're giving or deciding when to give or maybe after everything's over, I'll see what's up. That's a last fruit. That's like a leftover. That's like if God came over and said, let me see if I got something in my fridge from last week for you, God. It's kind of what it is. Or a first fruit saying, God, I just took this pie out of the oven and I want you to have the first slice. Does that make sense? It's a paradigm shift. This is not out of compulsion. This is not, we're not doing an offering right now. This, this, isn't, this isn't one of those things. This is a heart condition to understand the will of God in the areas of his presence, the word, prayer, godly friends, the area of, of, of getting distractions out of your life and understanding his economics and how it even works. This is what God says about this when you have this attitude. When you understand according to God, generosity and rewardability because some want the rewardability with no generosity. And God's like, yeah, my, my economy doesn't work that way. And so here's a couple of scriptures I just wanted to close on. Proverbs eleven twenty four. This is a pretty clear uh, when it comes to God's economy. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, each one must give. These are up here if you want to see them up here. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion. This is important. No one should ever guilt give out of a feeling of guilt or condemnation or shame. God's like, keep it. Keep it. Don't give out of compulsion or reluctance or, oh, here, go. God's like, keep it. God wants it to come from an outflow of the heart. And if we can't give that way, then don't give at all. Because God wants a cheerful gift. God wants someone who says, God, you've blessed me with this. I just want to give back what's really yours rather than a leftover thing at the end. So this is important. Our heart condition about 
generosity. And I believe that if we begin to discover some of these aspects of God's will, the journey will become more and more epic. I have a friend of mine on this economy. I, I, I love it. He's got more insight on God's economy this way. And I turn around and, and I know how generous he is because he asked me about like what missions is the church given to? And I said, well, we have African AIDS orphans in an orphanage in Mexico. He's like, give me the number. And he calls down there and says, you know, what will you do with a large gift? And, you know, the pastor of the mission in, in uh, Tijuana says, well, we'd probably, you know, uh, build some new bathrooms or something like that. He's like, no, I mean, what would you do with a large gift? Uh, uh, I mean, the guy's like, huh? What would you do with a large, what's your dream? What would you do with a large gift? And this is someone who God keeps giving them million dollar ideas so that he can be more liberal. That's just the way he is. And I think that's why God gives him more ideas. Do you see how it works? The story can be more and more epic. It's not like, well, if I win the lottery, then I'll think. It's like working with God in his economy now and watch what he can do. Not using God as a vending machine or some, if you do this, God all this crazy stuff you might have seen on TV, just simply understanding we're citizens of his kingdom, therefore we should be in his economy, and this will clarify a lot of areas about God's will in your life, and I think get rid of some things that are in the way, some problems and hurdles we have, start to go away because they become God's problems. And God's like, I'm really good at that. So I want to close in prayer right now, and I want to encourage all of us in the room to pray about an area we covered where God is calling you to a deeper revelation of his will in your life, where some of these hurdles begin to come out of the way, whether it's the word of God, where you're not really camping out with God and getting in on his insights, or maybe it's an area where you're not really spending time. You haven't slowed down and you're spending a little intimate time with the lover of your soul to get a little direct disclosure from the king of all kings. Or maybe... You, you're not in a community like an intentional one, a, a life group, or have other believers in your life that you literally get together and share and encourage one another because there's a lot of direction that comes out of that. You know, our, our marriage community is having a meeting after the service. That's a perfect time where believers are around other believers that encourage and fan each other in the flame. Maybe it's an area of your life where there's distraction. It's an, it's an area of distraction, and maybe you haven't even thought about it until right now, and God's like, hey, it's permissible. It's just not beneficial. It's not like illegal or it's not like bad for you, but you can't get into the epic aspect of your story until some of these things that you're clinging on to kind of go away. And then maybe it's the economics. Maybe we want everything God has, but we refuse to acknowledge his economy. And that is a disconnect by definition. And, and I would encourage you, if that's an area, that you'd pray to God and say, God, show me what that means because it doesn't make sense to me. I had to take a step 25 years ago saying, if you say it, I'm going to trust you. I have not looked back. I am so glad I've entered the economy that way. Many of you guys have too. But all the, any other economic issue becomes his issue. Okay? He's the great I am, right? He's the great I am, and we are his. And for those who get the economy, Paul said one last scripture I want to share. We apply it to everyone, but the context, Paul applied it to the Philippian church. The Philippian church understood God's economy. Paul was writing to them in Philippians and said, you guys, you guys were this church. You were the generous ones. You were the ones who understand sacrifice and giving. You understood it. And to that church, Paul said, God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches. To that church, because they understood this. I know that's been the case in my life. Many of you share the same story. 
But let's close in prayer and ask God that we will get into a deeper revelation of his will and that we'll begin to walk out this story that he has for us and we would discover the more epic aspects of what's to come. Mighty God, we just praise you, God, and we thank you for your word and we thank you for the power of it, Lord. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.